And welcome in to a special bunker edition of the Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast. Thomas and Majana with you. We're coming from our bunker. And coming from his bunker is somebody who is rapidly becoming one of your favorites. That's my buddy. He's been my favorite for a long time. Daniel Dano V, who is coming from his bunker. Daniel, welcome back to the program. My pleasure. It's I was so excited the last time I was able to squeeze into your recording box. It's a little bit different sitting by myself in in my office. (laughs) We are social distancing, and that's right, in the sound booth here, which I think is, what is it, about six feet long and four feet wide. We were all three crammed in here, but that was before we were worried about viruses. And uh, just to catch us up, you actually went through a, a little spell in, what, February, I guess, January, February. Do you think that you actually had the virus? I do. Uh, of course, a lot of people that had gotten the flu, supposedly gotten the flu, um, think they got the virus. But, you know, previously I had been sick maybe three times in the last 20 years. And this was nothing like I remember. Um, it never went into my lungs. It was a lot of sinus congestion. I didn't have a sore throat, but I had the fever. I had con- persistent headache. Um it lasted for five weeks. And, you know, some of it, you know, my wife's a, a health coach. So I was on this vitamin protocol and silver water, colloidal silver. I, I don't know if it, I just kept kept it at bay to where it never really fully took me on. And my immune system has been pretty good, but this really kicked me in the butt. It was, it, I had zero energy. And I'd have one day where I would feel fantastic. And then by that night, I would have a fever again. And then the last two weeks, I could barely maintain a normal body temperature. It was 97.4, which comes with its own muscle aches and headache and whatnot. Did Kimberly get the same thing? Well, her her youngest, her autistic son, uh, was dropped off by his dad because he was sick while he was over there. And had the congestion and cough and was in his lungs. And then Kimberly got sick two days later. And then I got sick a week after that. And then she recovered and mine just kind of hung on. So if it was the virus, you probably all three had it, I would guess. Absolutely. I I, I totally believe it. Wow. You know, if that's the, if that was the thing going around, then there's no reason why we, we didn't get it. You know, because it's never this was not like any other flu that I've ever had. And coronavirus is one variation of the flu. You know, there's several different coronaviruses. But it it just behaved completely different than my body's been used to. I know there are a lot of people who say they don't know anybody who's had it. I've got I'm I think I'm almost up to 10 now. Another buddy of mine in Denver, a major leader in astrology these days, Chris Brennan. He does the Brilliant Astrology Podcast for those who like to really dig deep into the topic. He's been down for a month describing almost identical type symptoms. Uh, in hearing people recount their symptoms that eventually were diagnosed with a COVID-19, they're very similar to mine. It's just mine never progressed to a level of being um, serious. You aren't grasping, gasping, grasping for breath. <laughs> I guess no. it's the same thing. And, you know, from, from what they say, you know, 90, 95% of the people are going to be just like that. It's, you know, 
they're going to be get through it fine. It's just like a bad bout of the flu. Well, you'll and have to get an antibody test and see where you are. That's the plan. We'll see. If I can stave off being vaccinated, then I'll go with the antibody test. Yeah, that month will have been a month well spent, I guess. So there have been a lot of lessons coming from this, I think, for all of us. We've all been searching and dealing with it in our own way. This audience, from what I've seen from the Facebook group interactions, has been very positive and just really seeing the bright side of this. Now we have the guidelines, if you will, from the national level that's going to be implemented on a state level of how we get back to normal, whatever normal is after this. And it looks to me like we're still going to be doing this for a while. That's my interpretation of those guidelines. But as you've looked back on this from your own perspective, what thoughts do you have about it? Um, The first thing that comes to mind is just how contagious fear is. And I just never realized that a picture could be painted that in reality isn't as bad as the media and the CDC and different people have been painting when you look at it in comparison to everything else. You know, heart disease. People die, you know, 600,000 people a year from heart disease. And that was like the very worst year for flu. And the numbers that they were touting and just, it, it just didn't seem to be that serious. It's not like it's, you know, totally contagious and everybody will automatically get sick if they're exposed to it. Most people don't even show any symptoms and are just fine. Did it require the lockdown? I don't know. I have an intuition that it's there's something, a, a bigger dynamic going on than really keeping the, the, the virus at bay. But that's probably a different podcast right there well i don't know we've got time (laughs) let's let's go there for a second why do you say well intuitively when i first heard about the report of the virus in china i get my my little voice right behind my left ear and it said manufactured crisis and usually when that voice comes in it's just plain no motion, just information. I got the same thing when I heard about Princess Diana. Um, I heard that she was murdered. And O.J. Simpson, I heard when I heard that his wife died, I heard crime of passion. Mm. So there's little things like that that have been historically accurate for me. Mm. And I, I see the, the vaccine agenda behind it. Um the agenda to have everyone vaccinated, which is, uh, that is, hmm, I have a bias against vaccines in general, especially the, the flu type vaccines, because they're, they just don't work. You know, maybe a 10%, 20% effectiveness. And it's for something that isn't life-threatening for the majority of people. Well, and I think it's relevant, if you don't mind me asking that you have a very personal reason why you believe that as well. Well, I personally, I never thought about it myself until I met my wife. Uh, Her youngest is vaccine injured Um, from her perspective. You know, she has pictures 
of her son, bright-eyed and, you know, present uh, at an early age. And then shortly after he was vaccinated, um, I believe at age four, two, three weeks later, it's like there was a dullness to his eyes. He's like almost expressionless. And she directly connected it to the, um, the series of vaccinations that were prescribed at the time. And in research that she's done over the years, it's heavy, heavy metal toxicity. And it's the aluminum, the mercury that's in there. And, and certain individuals are, um, they have a, a weaker system. So that series of vaccines and the, the influx of heavy, toxic, heavy metals just creates a toxic environment. So not everybody is, you know, you know, it's not dangerous to everybody, but I think it was Bush or Clinton who's, who set up the vaccine court. It was set up to, there's a limit to $25,000 payout. If you, if you just shown that there, your life was altered by a vaccine, they'll pay out up to $250,000, but there's no guilt. There's no, no one is, no blame is assigned. And it's a way to keep it out of the courts to minimize uh, liability to the pharmaceutical companies who they're saying that without that liability protection, it would not be worth it for them to create new drugs. Well, in this day and age, the only growth market for pharmaceutical companies is the vaccine industry. And so they, you know, new and novel vaccines. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I got the mumps. I got the measles. I got the chicken pox. I got all those illnesses and I have natural immunity now. Those I still show that I have the titers, you know, the, the antibodies for those. And so, you know, we're, we've been on the planet now for, you know, at least 12,000 years. You know, by some estimations, it could be, you know, if you go the ancient alien route, <laughs> uh, it could be, you know, longer than that. You know, humans have been on the planet. And so we've encountered, we, we have developed an immune system to deal with these pathogens. And on any given day, you know, you are exposed to any given day, any given moment, you have viruses and pathogens and mold and bacteria on your body, in your environment. They could kill you if it were not for your immune system. So the, the solution from my perspective is not in vaccination is not in external scientific intervention. It is in us bolstering our immune system. And if you've noticed in this COVID-19 crisis pandemic, there's been no, no talk about boosting immunity, immunity, nothing about the vitamin C protocol that they've done in Korea and uh, China, uh, the, the aspects of vitamin A and vitamin D to bolster the immunity. No talk about that. That is considered pseudoscience. But the average doctor is not educated at all in nutrition, in supplements, or how the body uses food, right? which I think is a, it's neglectful. For a, for a doctor not to know anything or virtually anything about nutrition and how the body uses those types of vitamins and nutrients. And that gets back into who funds the doctor's education. 
you know, if people don't realize that medical schools are basically co-funded by the pharmaceutical industry, and that's the agenda. That's what they learn to do is to manage medication. Absolutely. If you if you listen to Bruce uh, Lipton, who's done a lot of the research, early research in epigenetics and stem cell research, and is one of the you know current day proponents of you know mind body, you know what I've taught in the past is psychoneuroimmunology. How to use the mind affects the body, and how you use the body affects the mind. And he has said that when he was teaching in medical school, it was totally, the agenda was totally funded and directed by pharmacy, uh, pharmaceutical, big pharma. Well, Daniel, there's so many people right now saying, okay, if the law of attraction works, how did I create this? I'm stuck in my house. <laughs> you know, I'm not working. I'm worried about bills. What do you think? We've talked about that time is not linear, that we create as we go along and Things just appear to be linear. But you have a really great story that goes with that. I do. <laughs> with how you created, how you shifted your life. Oh, that story. Um, well, in let me, let me just back up for a moment. Uh, in the, the underlying belief that I have and that really under, underlies LOA or law of attraction is that we create our reality. Um, not some of it, but all of it, everything that shows up. And now I'll jump to the story. Uh, when I was 28, 26, 27, 28, I used to get together the first of the year with uh, my best friend at the time. And we would look back over the previous year and look at the goals and the objectives that we wanted to create. And then look ahead at what we wanted to create in that year. And it was like the third year of us getting together. And I realized that the previous times we've gotten together, I'd basically just taken the previous year's objectives and, and intentions and moved them like into the next year. Like, eh, I kind of screwed up there. Let's just like, let's give it our best shot. And Suddenly, I realized that I was in a rut. I just kind of, it's like, I said it, I'm in a rut. And I remembered my sociology professor. In fact, this is the only thing I remember from the class. And he said, when you find your life in a rut, start a revolution with your life. And I made that connection. I said, yeah, I'm going to start a revolution, revolution for my life. And I called it Revolution 88. <laughs> and I had, I had, I made that declaration and I, I caution you, you know, the power of a declaration and I'll get back to that. But I was in that, that became the theme of the year it was revolution 88. I had a souvenir mug of the cocktail, the long Island iced tea I was drinking and I wrote on it, you know, revolution 88. And within a week um, I'd received in the mail a, a postcard that talked about firewalking like with the, at the end of the month. And I go, yeah, that's a revolutionary act. I want to walk on fire. And I asked my wife at the time, I said, you want to walk on fire with me? And she said, why would I want to do that? And to me, it just fit the whole theme of a revolution 
for my life. And I don't know if it was synchronicity. I don't know how many firewalk postcards I'd gotten before that. Um, but I signed up to do just the firewalk. It was a Tony Robbins event. And he actually had the option at that time to do just the firewalk and for 135 bucks. And then you could go home after that. So I was already into or getting into NLP at that point. So I wanted to do the firewalk because I had fear and I wanted to race fear. And so that became the first of a series of things. I did flotation tank and uh, sessions. I got a three-hour tantric massage. Um, Anything that came up on my radar that smelled like, sounded like a revolution or something contrary, so far out of what I would normally do, I did it. I signed up for NLP certification. That was when they did 21 days of instruction. I met an Indian guru. Uh, so I, I was I encountered all these different activities, and it turned my life upside down for the most part. It was in the theme of the revolution, but it ended my marriage. It, I changed locations. It changed my career. It changed every aspect of my life. And I have to tell you, as far as, you know, I know that I created it, but I would have never chosen what happened on the front end consciously if I knew what was going to come out. And yet it positioned me for virtually everything after that in my life, you know, coaching and relationships after that and career choices and finally coming to Texas. But, you know, the the whole aspect of, you know, we do create everything. And it was so uncomfortable. And we've had conversations before about uh, transformation. You know, a lot of people have this idea that transformation is this, you know, rainbows and unicorn and, you know, (laughs) incense flavored experience. And it's rough. You know, we have these attachments to old ways of being. And in fact, I think one of the podcast listeners just was, had mentioned something, you know, she was going through a very stressful time and, you know, there's a lot of changes and transformation in her jobs and, you know, transformation is uncomfortable because we're letting go of old ideas, old paradigms of who we are in our, our position in the world. And to answer your other question, Majana, we have an agreement on a multiple layers to coexist and co-create with other people in our society, in our circle. And to the degree that we are plugged into that external community is the degree that we're influenced by happenings inside the herd. So it's, we create, you know, so the tornado comes through a, a community now, why does it hit certain houses and not others? There was our neighbor right next door. Their house got hit by a, a lightning strike. Six years before that, the house on the other side got hit by a lightning strike. Like either side of our house. And weather fronts go around our house. 
So, you know, it's to the degree that you are participated or directly related uh, or connected to an event is has a lot to do with your your ability to create your own dynamic, your own personal economy, your personal ecology inside that group mind. I have another story that will kind of leans into this even more uh, that we get to in a moment, but I'll let you talk for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say on a side note that your wife happens to be like the earth goddess. She welds earth energy better than anybody I've ever seen. So it wouldn't at all surprise me that like y'all are the eye of the storm, literally every time there's a storm around your area. She says a small prayer each time there's a weather front that comes in. And I've always been in that mindset also that events can happen around me, but not to me. It's like I choose whether which ones I participate in and which not. And it's interesting that I got sick with those viruses because I made a decision a long time ago. I wasn't participating. And I was actually communicating to a group of a, a group coaching so, uh, several group some people in a group coaching program and i was just saying that you know i was coming down with something i was fighting something off and that whole idea of fighting off or being attacked by a virus i leaned in the direction you know if you're on a fence and you lean towards health and wellness or lean towards sickness i was leaning towards sickness in that conversation and i opened up to the possibility more so than I ever have in a long time to being sick. And I think I ushered it in that where I've been able to hold things off before and I reclaim my health, even if I might feel something coming on, I just, you know, make some adjustments and it usually disappears. So can we look at that a little deeper too, along with that linear reality, because you've already talked about your resistance to vaccinations, vaccines, And even though they weren't necessarily talking about a COVID vaccine, to be able to let your body dance with it a little and build your own immunity will prevent you from having that vaccine. Well, true. I didn't think about it that way. You know, if if I had my antenna feelers out and there was a, a couple different realities before me or probable realities, I chose the one where I would not even have to have the discussion of whether or not I had the vaccine or not, because I would be immune or right. I would be. So I, I, I get that. We're so powerful. We are. We are totally powerful. And that's, that's something I mentioned in that post on, on the, on the Facebook page is that we are more powerful than we know. We are a spiritual being having immersed in the human experience and we usually think of ourselves stopping at the confines or the limits of our skin. And if we knew spiritually just how big we were and are, uh, you could hardly fit your aura inside the room. And you are a spiritual giant, a God. You know, if, you know, if there's any truth in the Bible and we are created in God's image, it's that spiritual spiritual divinity that we have inside us, the ability to create miracles. And Jesus said that, you know, this and you, you know, you can do it more. And that ability to create our reality, that is our God given gift. If there's a purpose to life is that we 
get to exercise that creativity inside our existence. We get to choose everything. And I think that's the whole path of this dance in life, this journey, is for us to realize that we choose it all, every aspect of it. And trusting your other than conscious self in all aspects as well. Like you consciously didn't say, oh, I'm going to get COVID now so that I don't have to be immune or so I'll build immunity. But I think your other than conscious self kind of knew that. Right. And just just to clarify the other than conscious self, most people think that the conscious mind is all powerful, yet it is just a small aspect of our mind or the, the balance between our subconscious, unconscious, and our other than conscious is our is the part of the iceberg that's underneath the water. And I also think we're inter, it's interconnected into superconsciousness. And there's a, a flow of information between uh, non-local and local consciousness. And so that is extremely powerful. And my life has moved more so into trusting that dynamic and not having to figure everything out. And, you know, I, I did kind of flog myself a little bit for getting sick at first. And it's like, well, you know, maybe my immune system needed an upgrade. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You have the new version now. (laughs) Let's go back to your Project 88, because as we look at that through astrological lens, the planet Saturn, and I don't know, I haven't gone back to look at that in your chart. It would be interesting to do to see if Pluto and or Uranus were also involved. But that's exactly the energy that we've been dealing with since January. Well, that culminated on January 12th. And in astrological terms, you went through your first Saturn return. It's when Saturn comes all the way around your chart back to where it was when you were born. And for a lot of people, they go through exactly what you went through, major upheavals. So it's almost like the story that you told of what happened when you were 28, 29 is what a lot of people are feeling right now. So you're talking about the, like you said, you never would have, quote unquote, chosen that path. And yet look at how it worked out. And I think that's exactly what we're going through here, don't you? That we're going through a tunnel and on the other side is going to be something infinitely more brilliant than what we had before. Absolutely. It's completely in that vein of, uh, I guess in the tarot deck, it'd be the tower card where, you know, it burns everything. And we're like the Phoenix that will arise out of the ashes. And that story is in our subconscious, the collective consciousness for a reason for rebirth. And in the Tarot, the death card is not death or finality. It is transformation. And we are, you know, if, if we can release the fear and have fun with this in that knowing that the universe has our back, that the angels are conspiring on our behalf, that we are in this unique position in time for a reason, whether we consciously chose it or, you know, chose it on another than conscious level, we're here and we're here for, you know, that makes it 
you know, purposeful and synchronistic, I think, because I don't believe in accidents. And so at this point in time, we can create, we can actually usher in a whole new dawn, a whole new, you know, era of being and consciousness. And you've seen, you know, there's people are kind of divided in two camps on this, on, you know, they're elevating their consciousness. They're looking at the bigger picture. They're looking at, you know, what's after this, what can I create now? And I, when I coach people and things don't necessarily turn out the way they thought, there's a disappointment or a, a setback. The two questions I have them ask, and I ask them myself, is what does this now make possible? And how does this serve me? It's the idea that everything happens for your benefit. So if you ask the question, how does this serve me? Even if, you know, there is no, you know, connection to all that is. And just you looking at it, you're going to create something that is to your benefit out of ash. So maybe I could put you on the spot here, if you don't mind. Is there anything in particular that so far has come to you that you're creating for what might rise out of these ashes for you? I don't know if I can specifically say at the moment, but the direction I'm moving in, and it's this direction I've been moving in the last probably year, is getting more and more out of the coaching situation. I've been a coach for 30 years um, in various capacities, and as a workshop and seminar leader, I've interacted with 10,000, at least 10,000 people. And I would like to multiply that by a factor of 100. I think in this day and age on the internet, uh, with podcasts, and I, I can up my game. And with hard, without hardly trying, from, from my perspective, in being able to, and I counted everything up, and be able to interact with 10,000 people, when I started out, I just wanted to touch one person. Mm-hmm. And that happened that night when I said, I, I, I'll be satisfied if I change the life of one person as a coach. Well, that person called me at 11 o'clock that night, suicidal. <laughs> and two hours later, I realized that my life's ambition was already fulfilled. <laughs> and so I, I created, you know, that I wanted to reach as many people as possible. And with the, it, almost 60 now, I'm changing and and moving more into the internet, more into the virtual space. And I would like to create 100,000 leaders around the world, leaders that um, are creating the life for them. And my mission is that each and every person on the planet has a sense and feeling to their bones that they create their reality. And I want to be a part of that um, revelation. And it's like casting a stone into a lake that causes ripples to go out. And I don't have to be the one to actually interact with all the people. I just want to be able to impact the leaders that are going to impact other people and then other people. And my name doesn't have to go on to the history. Just, I just have to have that personal satisfaction that I made a difference. And so that's that's in a, that's a sh- short version. Well, and you know what you're going through right now astrologically. What's what? t- what's twenty eight and a half times two? 
would, <laughs> you tell me would be your current age. You're going through your second Saturn return. Oh, that's right. So that's when it comes back around. Now it takes where you've been since 28. What have you accomplished? What loose ends have you left undone? Where are you in your journey? And either kind of takes you back to the starting line if you've missed the whole thing, or it takes you to the to the next level. So sex, I'm a year ahead of Daniel. We're a day or two days apart, one year apart. And uh, when I came back from Aspen, that was second Saturn return. When I started doing all the stuff we've been doing, second Saturn return. So it's. Um, you're right there. So that would be a natural shift point. It's interesting that Napoleon Hill said when in his first version, uh, or let's say the, the first version, original copy, original version of Think and Grow Rich, he said most men, of course he's sexist, but most people don't come into the full stride of what they're meant to do until after age 50. Right. So if you're younger and you're in your 20s and 30s, you've got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly right. And, of course, back then it was a man's culture. So, you know, he was just operating in the context of what was. But, yes, that is absolutely for sure is, I think, in fact, my grandfather, who was a very wise man, said for him, you know, that back then the saying was life begins at 40. He was saying for him life began at 50. And I would agree. Yeah, I didn't find the love of my life until age 50. I made lots of mistakes before that. But we're going to go into the that big story, right? Yeah, we'll we'll do that in the next one. Let's do a part two on this. So my buddy Daniel Danovi will stand by and let's roll into the next one where he's got a story that will, uh, will drop your jaw. So we'll pick that up in the next podcast. And oh, if you'd like to connect with Daniel, his website is danovi.com. And don't worry about the spelling. I've got you covered. It's in the show notes. Just click over from there and also his email as well. As always, hope this has helped. Enjoy your journey. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.